Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. All right, this is important to me, this one. Today, my guest is the best pizza maker. Pizzaiola, is that what they call it? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Pizzaiola? Yeah, Pizzaiolo. Pizzaiolo, yeah. Pizzaiolo. The best Pizzaiolo in the world. I've brought up his name a lot on the podcast. Anthony Mangieri, thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, as you know, man, I've, I've looked to you for a long time as someone who applies a kind of dedication and rigor to his craft that is inspiring and um, is, is, is reaffirming to me. It gives me this kind of faith. It always has. Seeing you back there by your pizza oven has always given me a certain kind of faith in something almost ineffable about when, when people have a, a dream and a passion and an idea, but more than that, they're just willing to fucking sweat for it and never stop. So uh, thanks for that. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, but I you can, know that that's... That sounded I mean, like it should be at my funeral. <laughs> well, we could tape it. We could play yeah, this say, at the funeral. Say that. I'm to my wife because she's not going to have those same kind You're like of words. a year or two younger than I am and um, thinner than I am. So you'll be at my funeral. I won't be at yours. But we can take this tape and we can play it at yours if you want. <laughs> So uh, Anthony's restaurants, Una Pizza Napolitana, he opened first in, in New Jersey near Asbury Park and then um, came to New York and, and his place in New York was a, a sensation. And then like J.D. Salinger, he just closed it and left and went to San Francisco. And now he's back and his restaurant is downtown on the Lower East Side. And if you watch Billions, we featured Anthony and his restaurant in the episode that aired Sunday night because this is going up Tuesday after the episode airs okay. Sunday night. And uh, so I wanted Anthony to come here. I've been obsessed with his place for a long time. But let's start here, man. Um, what were you obsessive about before pizza? Because looking at your personality and how you live, I can't imagine you just walking around with your head in the cloud. So what, <laughs> what, what were the first obsessions in young Anthony's life? Oh, gosh. Um, probably BMXing. And BMX racing, yeah. and then I mean it was the '70s, so that was kind of like a thing. Um, skateboarding, and then heavy metal, and then from heavy metal to kind of like obsessing like with punk rock and then New York City hardcore music, and which then led to like other things. I think also because I wasn't really like a jock or anything in school, and in that era, you know, I mean, you know. When you're a kid, I guess now too, for kids, you're always trying to find like your, your little circle or your group yeah. or feel like you have some connection to some other human. And so like skateboarding and then punk rock, like I felt like some connection to people with like certain life choices. And you mean like the stuff. outsider piece of it? Yeah, the outsider piece, like, you know, the, the self-reliance, like the music that I was into was really about like self-reliance and then I got into like music that was about clean living, which because you were was, straight edge, I was still am. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and you know, in the seventies and eighties, that was you know, I mean, you wanted to meet a girl or whatever. Like, which you know, were the bands, the punk bands that spoke to you the most about that? I mean, originally it was like you know what everybody liked, like the Clash and that kind of stuff, and then you know the Sex Pistols was your first kind of discovery. Right, but and those were slowly, those were yeah, not about like clean. Those no, are not no, about no. straight. Edge. Neither was heavy metal, but I mean, I still love heavy metal and Ozzy and yeah. You know, know I'm a, we never talked about metal. You told but me I, briefly, I'm a metal. I was a metal freak. I still yeah. know, like I'm still deep in it. Yeah, from, like, no, that time. I mean. I mean, it's so beautiful. Like, I love it. I love it. I, you know, where, where, where in New Jersey did you grow up? 
I was born in Tom's River, and I grew up at the Jersey Shore. Yeah. So that you grew up near where you opened the first Una Pizza. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A couple miles. And you, what was the heavy metal? So you're like 10, 11, 12 years old when like Van Halen's albums came yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, I can remember being in elementary school and my music teacher, who I still remember, her name was Miss Campobasso because she was Italian. And she was, to me, she was so beautiful. Right. I still remember this. I don't right. know if she really was, but um, you were allowed to bring records in at the end of music class every week. She would come to your classroom and bring her, wheel the piano in. And, and um, I would bring in like, you know, my dad was also into like, not heavy metal, but like rock of that era. So like, originally I was like bringing him records of like Jethro Tull and stuff, you know. And the other the kids, are, class, the sure. other kids are ringing in like Sesame yeah, Street Captain soundtrack. and Tennille, maybe. And I used, to, I think back now, and I'm like, she must have thought, what kind of family is this kid coming from? But and then just from that, like, yeah, then I was super into like Jude, all those stuff of that era: Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Ozzy, Black Sabbath. Actually, later because it was before me a little bit. So, like, so did I liked you get into Ozzy. like the Ronnie James Dio Black I Sabbath? Liked, yeah, no, I liked him too. Um, he was great. Um, yeah, I mean, all that stuff, like it all. And, and did then, you play? I did play. I wasn't really good, um, but I, I definitely played. I, I started out playing bass, and I became obsessed with it. And then from that, I started to get – originally, I started playing bass because I wanted to be in, like, a punk rock band, and you didn't have to really know how to play. Yeah. With, at least – I mean, punk no, rock you, can be back great, then, but, like, the, no, this stuff they, they like, played there. Like, the whole idea of it yeah. was to play yeah. simply straight ahead. And I wanted to be in a band and stuff with my friends. So did I you st- do it? Not really. We played, but nothing ever came of it. And none of us, none of us had the – wherewithal to like get any like to do it we would like get one house or the other and play and that would be the end of it um but then because of i guess you know my personality and stuff i'm i like to kind of know information so i started to um really want to play the bass more and so then i became like more and more into like actually mute like bass so then i started to get super into jazz and then stanley that, clark and stuff stanley clark i saw play yes my mom took me to see him i mean i became obsessed with like weather report and jocko yeah, sure. and all that stuff and just then i basically became like an introverted kook the last like two years of high school and i was just practicing my bass like eight hours a day and this is what i was trying to get to didn't this have obs- a girlfriend right and, like you know and yeah you you just Got so into becoming, you yeah, wanted, wanted to be proficient to be, yeah, I at wanted it. to be a jazz musician. I wanted to play the electric fretless bass like Jocko and, and tour the world playing the bass. And I used to go see the Dixie Dregs all the time. Yeah. So I could see like Andy West play bass, you know. And, and uh, um, I remember, you know, and Stanley Clark and Jocko. Yeah. I mean, I, I flirted with the bass for a minute, but I, I, I then, it was all just, that kind of difficult was too much for me. But you just literally yeah. did you do did you put your schoolwork aside or were you doing okay? I mean, in I school? never did good at school. I I wish I would have you know, I hate to sound like the cliched older guy, but like, you know, looking back, you know, I just had a, a funny conversation with a childhood friend this week. And, you know, he's like working hard and, you know, trying to pay his bills and live and I work hard and we were both like, Man, if we would have just like paid attention those few years maybe we could have actually not worked so hard now it's like you screw up for high school don't go to college and then you suffer the rest of your life i don't know i mean you became kind of famous and everything like it pretty Whatever. much worked out in I a certain know. way <laughs> I mean, maybe it's uh you've had but 
No, I do understand that. Like, I sometimes think, like, I had pretty bad ADHD as a kid. And obviously, like, my life's worked out unbelievably well. But for years, I used to think, well, if I only had been medicated. I was talking to Carmelini about this on the podcast um, because he always says he had ADHD and he's yeah. happy he didn't get medicine. Yeah. But I sometimes wish I did because I think it would have saved me so much pain. Right. And I maybe maybe then I would have been a lawyer and, like, I would never have become an artist. Right. I was going to say pain, though, I think is the key. I think. I think that that's the key to that inner something, you know? I think the the loneliness, the suffering, the self-doubt, all those kind of things make life hard and I joke and stuff, but like, <clears throat> you know, it does, I think it gives you the fire to have almost like something that like no one can take away, you know? And it's not about finances or any of that kind of success. It's more about like you're, you're almost unstoppable because you've already suffered starting at a young age. And sometimes it works. And then other times you become a kook on the street, babbling to yourself or drug addict or whatever. But when you can get through it and you make it without losing your mind, I think you can actually have a really, a beautiful internal fire that, you know, yeah, that fuels I think that's you. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, um, that, that people who have somehow in them, they're able to recognize that pain, but their way of escaping it is to go through as right. opposed to to go away. Right, right. right. That, that you're lucky enough. Maybe you had a parent who gave you some support right. or assist, like someone, yeah. or you found a friend or a teacher um, or the inner resources, but where you decided, okay, I can't control all this. Well, maybe I control the fretless bass. Right. Maybe I can control the temperature of the pizza oven. Like really, right, right. or for me, maybe I can control what happens on a, on a page or right. when we pick up a camera. Like right. uh, you, 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 and then the the pain also uh, perhaps gives you like a point of view on what you do, right? You, because you're, you're because part of that is like isolated. The part of the the pain we're talking about, I think, is that pain of what happens when. You kind of like order the world differently than most of the people around you, right? Yeah. Isn't that kind of where you were as a yeah. kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I, th- I, you know, I see it because I have a daughter now who's, you know, in second grade. And like, you know, you can see the struggles that your kids go through and then you can remember your struggles and you kind of can see where the decisions can start being made as a person very young of like almost not compromising to fit in, you know, even yes. at a young age and, and maybe and you cause make, you couldn't even, but you make the choice right? and then you know, it's the right choice, but that doesn't mean it's not a painful choice. Right. Exactly. That doesn't mean when everyone's at the party and you've, you're not, you chose right. not to be right. in that group. Right. But that doesn't mean you're not still home alone. Right, exactly. Right? Exactly. So it's a really confusing yeah, thing. And it, it took is. me years, actually, to understand certain of the choices I made. There were these, you know, this group of kids who were, like, super fast, who went to a, a high school near mine. And I could have, you know, I would see them and they would drive these crazy cars and they were doing drugs. And I just wasn't into that. Right. But they were having, like, there were times when I would see, man, they're having a fucking great time. Right, right. I'm just sitting here reading yeah. for real. Like yeah. I'm sitting here with a book yeah. and I, I would feel good about it, but I would, I would be lying if I said there weren't times that I wasn't like, how come they don't know that they should be hanging with me? That I'm right. right. That they should be hanging, that there's something of value here, that disconnect. Yeah. But, 
it, it, it's, it, that kind of thing can drive somebody, right? To try to realize their, like, to get their potential out a different right. way, which is, I think, part of why I'm interested in what you chose to obsess on before you found this book. Because it seems like you always knew, like, you were going to do something that required you to give everything to it. Yeah, I mean, I think also it's a, it's a, it's hard to say. I think maybe, don't you think there's also just the luck and the gift that maybe you have that spark inside you? Because like I was thinking, um, you know, there's many people that don't really feel like they fit in when they're young or even as an adult or make choices based maybe not on the most successful way to do things yeah. or whatever. And they end up being really unhappy and never really getting anywhere with it. Um, so I think there's many things that play into that. It doesn't always work out for the loner or the kook. A lot of times it doesn't go so great for them either. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of... There's it. some internal spark also, or like you said, maybe a parent... Like my mom was super supportive and loving. I mean, you know, my grandmother, I think that also was a you know a good foundation. I mean, it was a lot of times when I was a teenager and a young adult that, you know, I was like best friends with my mother. And like I chose to basically like... I literally would rather have like hung out with my mom than anyone else on earth. And it wasn't because of anything other than I thought she was like the coolest, greatest person ever. And I think that kind of foundation also can give you an internal strength. Yes. You know, and if you have that at a young age, it's like that also, if you don't feel like you fit in, you're making weird choices that aren't maybe part of pop culture. And then you also have a parent or a guardian or somebody who was more of an, an influence and an adult be like and yeah you're okay my mom used to say the most silly thing that sounds like nothing but like if i was sad or stressed and even as a young adult she would just be like keep your chin up and that sounds like whatever but like coming from your mom and feeling like you know i don't know like those kind of things really stick with you, you yeah know? walk proud yeah yeah stay in there like yeah stay keep fighting yeah yeah well i it's funny because, yeah, you may be somebody now, one might be listening and be like, well, I didn't have that as a parent. But that doesn't mean you can't be that for someone. Like one of the things you can take from this is even if you didn't have that, you can be that for somebody. Right, right. And that gives you a tremendous right, power right, and strength too. Right. Finding someone that you can help lift up is a giant yeah, advantage. And it's, it's so true. And it, it changes you actually yeah. giving in, in that way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you're right. Of course, a lot of people are outsiders and never solve it. But you combine that, I think, with purpose a bunch of different times. Like you kind of found a purpose. And the reason I was interested in talking about this is I believe that this is all in your pizza. <laughs> like I remember the first time that I'd had the pizza. And now people who listen to this podcast or follow me on social media know like I'm a pizza obsessive. Like I, I'm – Basically fat because of pizza. That's the thing <laughs> that is, uh, you know, um, the defining sort of reason is pizza. And I had just, I had just written a piece in our friend Ed Levine's book where I defended pizza that was the opposite of yours. I wrote a thing defending like gourmet pizza, like pineapple and chicken and all this stuff pizza, right? Saying it can be good, that it's laughed at, but it can be good. And I had never eaten your pizza. And then... You opened in New York right after that book came out, like within weeks of that book coming out, I think. Yeah, I was in that book. Yeah, yeah you were, Ed of course. Was, Ed was a catalyst for... Of course. Another woman was a catalyst also, uh, Andrea Clerfeld, who was a writer in New Jersey, 
who connected me with Ed. And the two of them were the catalysts of a lot of things in the beginning for me. I had had yeah. a lot of – Ed's great. I mean a, an yeah. incredible food enthusiast and his book, Serious Eaters, coming out soon. And it's really yeah. good and I can't wait for that um, to be in the stores. And I'm going to have him on the podcast. But, but I remember going to your place like the week you opened. And the idea was at the time what you, Neapolitan pizza. Can you – I'll describe what it was like to eat it, but can you just talk about what your concept was as you opened, how it was different than what else was going on at the mm, time? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess a couple of things play into that. One, I was not really what you would consider a restaurateur, so I never approached the business like a restaurant guy. I never went to school. I'm not a trained chef or anything like that, so... You know, and also I generally am not, well, I, I wouldn't say I'm not, I, I wasn't then so concerned. Now I'm much more like, you know, I love talking to people and like talking to people in the restaurant. But back then, no, dude, back I just then. was basically like, I'm here to make pizza because that's what I want to do. And if you come in great, because also when you have nothing to lose, you know, it gives you a little bit of freedom to be like, I don't care if we go out of business because I don't even care. I'll just go get a job. Anyway. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got nothing either way. So this is already more than I expected. <laughs> and that's a good thing to try to keep as you get older, but it's very hard. Well, it's very hard. Family, it's like it's when you have health hard. insurance. If you never have health insurance, you just don't even care. Then you get it once and you're like, I can't get rid of it. What if something happens? And you spend a thousand bucks a month on health insurance the rest of your life and never use it. Right. It's the same thing with everything. It's like, you know, back then I just didn't, I truly genuinely with all, openness did not care what anyone thought if they came in if they didn't anything every single thing i did in there was purely selfish and self-motivated yeah and what was your idea though what were you trying to do my idea was this is the way i thought pizza should be based on like going to italy my family being from that part of italy and reading every book i could ever find about anything regarding Naples and pizza at the time. Now there's so much more, but back then there wasn't. But even just history of Naples and all that stuff, I mean. And then also just like, you know, again, like my mentality of like wanting to take something further and get deep into it and really be one with it. I used to always feel like if this is what you're going to do, you should know every single thing about what you do. Yes. Like I don't think you should like, you know, whatever, like, Whatever it could be, like if you're a plumber, whatever, you should know all about plumbing. Like that's your job. So to me, like making pizza, it's like I wanted to know everything about it, like and research everything and constantly like trying to find. But the beautiful thing and the hard thing back then too was the fact that the information was so limited. It it allowed you to have your own interpretation because there wasn't information on a lot of things to be like, well, this is the way it is. Right, this makes so this was, happen or that right. makes so it. Right, so it's like – you yeah, had to, you had to like go like to Figure, libraries, yeah, and read yeah, it and, and then, then go take stuff. like this thing regarding bread, but this thing regarding that, and I kind of came up with this to that, and this is the way it is according to me. And there's something beautiful in that because you don't have that map already set out to be like this is how you do this, this is how you do that, and you know if you don't do it like this, then it's not right. So no one, there was no one really to tell me what was right and wrong because there was nobody. I mean, this else. is the punk. You're taking sort of a punk rock ethos. To oh, it, it always a was way. a uh, do-it-yourself kind of like. Yeah, I mean, thing. other than because in the yes, in the beginning they didn't care about how they played their instruments, but the idea was 
we're going to take apart the way people played rock and roll. Right. And we're going to play rock and roll the way that we think. For us. For us, that right. it should be played. And it's going to be about what we want it to be about. Exactly. And we're going to strip it down. Right. That's the other thing. Right. They stripped it down. Yeah. And you stripped it down, right? Because when yeah. you you had <laughs> it's pretty stripped. I mean, down. let's talk. Like, I mean, your restaurant now. You your your restaurant when you opened in New York. And what year did you open in New York? I opened in New York in like two thousand three or two thousand four. Right. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense yeah. to me because my son was like seven or eight, and that's we would go all the time. So wow, you would you opened and when you opened, I just want to be clear. There were like six tables in the restaurant, eight. There were, I think there was probably 30 seats total. 30 or seats. Or 28 seats. 28 seats. So seven, so, seven yeah, tables. Whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like seven yeah. tables, you served four pizzas. Yes. Right? You served four pizzas. You served um, a marinara pizza, which right. had no cheese. Right. You served a filete de pomodoro, which had cherry tomatoes and garlic. Right. You served a white pizza, and you served a margarita. Right. What was the white one called? Bianca. A Bianca yeah. and a margarita. Right. You served no alcohol in the beginning, or was there? Uh, wine? You had wine in the took beginning. The, well, I we were gonna just like it, there's that time lapse, right? But in the very beginning, it. you didn't. Yeah, but I had it like a couple months later, right? Yeah. But in the beginning, in the yeah. very beginning, yeah. you didn't. Uh, you would make no substitutions and changes on the pizza, right? You could order one of these four pizzas. They were the most expensive pizzas in New York, basically, other than like Seraphine, you know, other than yeah, in some yeah. really right. fancy sit-down right. joint. And you were alone making the pizza in the back. You were proud of the fact that you would make them in like 90 seconds from when they went in? Is that how long? Something, yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. that to your own yeah, sense yeah. of when it would be ready. You were – when someone would walk into your restaurant, there would be uh, – there was sometimes one other guy in there helping. Yeah. But he wasn't like back there with server. you. He was no, a server. Yeah, yeah, I had a server and a uh, dish guy. You were in the back. Yeah. Uh, you weren't talking to anybody. You were like Miles Davis. You're back to the room mostly. I was also not comfortable to talk to people. Yeah, you didn't want to talk yeah, to anybody. I was younger and still. You were covered in tats. It would usually be like a t-shirt covered in tats. And you seemed like you were just going about your purpose uh, with 100% commitment and clarity. And I, what I remember is walking in and being like a little bit skeptical at first because in a way it could have looked like show business, right? Like you were doing it. Yeah. Putting it on. But uh, I remember going there, and it was all for my whole little family, the four of us. And uh, we ordered all four pizzas. And I remember you had to fork and knife it, which in New York was not the way you eat pizza. No. And, uh, and you know, the only thing like that experience to me food-wise was when the first time I had Chang's pork bun. Like, that's it for me in New York in the last 20 or 30 years where – I ate that pizza and then I realized I was like in the presence of a real artist and I kept coming back and trying to understand how with these simple ingredients you were able to do this thing that you did. And then I watched as it became a huge sensation, almost too much of a pain in the ass to go. Stop what you're doing and look down at your left wrist because our friends at Movement Watches, they've got exactly what you're missing. Look, Movement has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories. We can actually afford an order right from our couch. Do your wrist and your wallet a favor. Check out their minimalist designs that you can have with no risk because they offer free shipping and returns. There's over 2 million watches sold worldwide. 2 milli. 
Movement has solidified themselves as one of the fastest growing watch brands out there. I am one who's always liked minimalism in watches. The fact that these things have a clean, sharp design, it makes it easy to look down and tell the time, but also it just kind of looks good uh, on our wrists. Um, hey, they also have like tons of sunglasses and they have interchangeable watch straps. So you never run out of options. You know, uh, these accessories are a good gift for yourself or if someone else has a movement watch, you can get the accessories for them. Movement watches start just 95 bucks, so you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break your bank. I like their story too because they're ground up entrepreneurs. It's a success story, the kind of fun success story we all like to see. These are people who understand living on a tight budget. They lived it too, so they wanted to make quality products that are accessible to everyone. They've sold over 2 million watches, more than 160 countries, and their collections are always expanding for you. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns. 15% off by going to mvmt.com slash moment. That's mvmt.com slash moment. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash moment. Join the movement. Were you surprised when it took off the way that it did? Did it feel good to you? Did it feel like mm. a burden at first? It was confusing. I mean, the, on one side, the good thing is that I had already had the pizzeria in New Jersey for like nine yes. years or something. So it, I had already been in business doing this. And I had a bread bakery before that for like three years or so or a little more. So I had already paid my dues in yeah. many ways, financially, emotionally, physically, to where I was also at a point, you know, and I was already like, when I opened it, I was like 33 or something or 32 when I opened in New York. So I also right. was, you know, I mean, there's a lot of chefs now that have like restaurants, bunch of restaurants, you know, that they're just opening at that age. So I had already been in business for so long in a sense that like, I kind of felt like an old man already. So I was pretty stable in not getting too shooken by like what was going on, but it did become a burden. I mean, but at the same time, I used to always feel shocked that people even came in. I mean, I still do when I have to leave to go back to work. Cause I go home in the afternoon to take like a little nap or have lunch with my wife and daughter. Um, cause I'm in the morning then go home and then yeah. come back like pretty much every day. Like when I, when it's time to go back to work at like five, I'm just like, eh, like, does it really matter? Nobody, who cares? Nobody Nobody's going to give a shit. Nobody cares. Who cares? You and, know? And then they do though. And you yeah, somehow. I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But, but yeah, I mean, I, it did get overwhelming at that time though. I, it became consuming. It was, I needed help. I needed somebody. I needed like somebody and I had nobody really. I mean, you know, my mom was super sick. My dad had passed away. I was kind of dating a bunch of different people, but nothing. Right. I was like all over the place. Yeah. I really like, I needed somebody to be like, dude, like, let's get a grip on this thing. We can become really big or successful or do something with it. Let's cash in. And instead it, I was still kind of like, and opportunities were being presented to me. Of course. Cause it was also the beginning of like this whole chefy kind of thing and like yes. reality TV. And I had people who wanted to do a reality show, this, whatever, I'm just open in Las Vegas, like any crazy thing you could think of. And, and I just was still kind of like, oh, screw you. I'm just going to do what I do. Well, well, and, I, and, like, and then I was like, that's it. I'm closing. Well, you know, <laughs> I want to get to that in a minute, but, but it does seem like the way you, you took solace from any of that was like, 
by making sure – I mean, I remember reading interviews even at the time where, where you'd be like, yeah, sometimes the pizzas suck or whatever. But, like, you just tried to make every pie. Like, can you just talk about the kind of focus? Yeah, I made dough today right. before I came in. Right. Before today. I saw you today, you yeah, went, yeah, made, I went dough. made dough. Today. Yeah, because your thing yeah. is you won't make dough in the way people do now where they can have as much as they want. You make a certain right. – talk about that right. a little bit for a second. Well, yeah. I mean, the dough is the key to me, and it's where all the root of, like, this, you know – 30 years or whatever it's been. I mean, it didn't come out the way I wanted to today. I was already in a bad mood this morning. It was like, so yeah. I mean, What does that mean it didn't come out the way you wanted? It's just like I can feel it wasn't what I wanted. I mean, it's such a, 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 you know, I don't refrigerate it um, in any it has the proof. It, it, it proofs it, at room temp. And so that means you can and, only do a certain number, right? Right, right. And so, when you're done with them, you're done. You close. Right, right. I mean... So they're, you know, it has a lifespan because it's raising. So it's alive and it changes continuously from when you finish mixing it to the proofing time before we open to them. When we open, if you eat a pizza at 5.30 and then you were to come back at 10, it's going to be a different, if you're open to experiencing it, you're going to have a slightly different experience. And that's always been what turns me on, but it's also what is the root of all the stress for me and, you know. That's the main, main stress of everything. When the dough is great and everything goes the way it should, it's magic. And when it's not, it's like then the oven doesn't work right and I get funky or whatever. It's just like it goes sideways. So, yeah. Right. You That level of focus, How talk about how much concentration it requires to do the thing that you do. Because we're used to walking into a pizza place and right. everyone's having a bunch of bullshit conversations right, and right. whatever. And maybe it comes out a little bit. You know, they're like they're reheating up something and like – it seems to me you approached this the way like Glenn Gould approached the playing the piano, you know? And have you ever seen that movie, 32 Short Films, about no, Glenn Gould? No. You're going to watch that it? movie. It'll be your favorite okay. movie. Yep. That will be your favorite movie. I will see it. Um, except he went nuts. Don't go nuts. But, well, um, but he was close. the he was the <laughs> best. Uh, I'm getting there. He was p- trying to play the, the Goldberg Variations, and um, he did. Then there are 32 movements in the Goldberg Variations, and this film is about how crazy he had to go with the practicing and all the rest of it. And the story, I may tell it slightly wrong, is that concert pianists would call the tuner, like if they were going to a venue, they mm-hmm. would call the tuner, hire the tuner a, a month out. So the tuner could tune the piano and then tune it again two weeks later and then tune it a week and then have it ready. And someone asked if Glenn Gould called a month in advance and the tuner said, Glenn Gould calls a year in advance. Wow. And, like, that was the way he thought about the tuning of the piano. Like, a year out, he was already thinking about the piano he was going to play and getting it in the... And that reminds me of you, in a way. I mean, that's flattering, except for the going nuts part. (laughs) Yeah. But but talk about (laughs) the focus it requires when you're at that pizza oven. Right. Because it doesn't just seem like it's the physical labor. Like, even the way you decide how much olive oil to put on at the end, none of it seems casual to me. No, I don't think it is casual. I think, I mean, it's hard, you know? I mean, it's also like, you know, as you get older, it's a business. Yeah. You know, and so you start to get pulled in other directions. I mean, it's definitely, you you know, you you get softer and you lose a little bit of the edge. It's hard to maintain that kind of like It anger. is. I don't want to say anger. I, no, anger is a really good angry, word. But... Anger leads to a lot of beautiful things, and I don't even know what you could be angry about. I don't know what I'm angry about, but I'm not that angry anymore. My anger lasts for like 
a couple seconds. I'm like, ah, ah whatever. Let's get right. a coffee. Yeah. You know, so it's hard to maintain that edge and stay sharp like that and have a family. That edge of proving, yes. And have, you know, a wife and a kid and not be a complete psycho well, I every always... minute and have people work with you and not be like, you're, you're out of your mind. Like, it's like you, you, I don't know. It's a, it's a struggle. I mean, it's a struggle to maintain what you're, what you see or what you saw in the old place and maintain that as you get older and you have other priorities, you have other people that you have to care about. You have people that work for you that you care about yes. that are there to pay their bills well, I yeah, mean, you can't shut the place down if you don't love the dough. Yes, right. you can't there's shut the place down if you don't love the dough. Whereas maybe in the old right. days, you no, could have been like... No, in the old days, like, I did shut the place that's down. That's in the old days. I literally been like, shut the place down yeah, in the old days. Right, you might have been like, look, we're closed today. Why? Because I don't, I don't like don't. And then I dough. couldn't pay my rent and it would be a stress and like all these kind of things that like, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, that, but, but that tension between having to be responsible but wanting to be an artist is really difficult. Or not even wanting to be. Being, right. Know, oh, that's yeah, really good. I don't even know if like I ever thought of myself as like an artist um, or anything so Yeah, lofty. lofty, right. I think it was more like this is the way I'm doing it. It seemed like the right way. And What you just said is very important though. Right. Mm. It's not thinking of yourself. It's, it's what you are. Forget yeah. thinking of yourself think a certain nowadays, way. I think nowadays everybody thinks of themselves as an artist. I mean, it's like a you know, craft, artisan. This crap's all like become catchphrases it's marketed it's like business now it's like you know people that were making denny's when we were kids now the same mentality are like well we can open a place with reclaimed wood and say local (laughs) and craft and at the back end are still looking at it like a corporation so it's like it's hard to yeah those words mean nothing to me now they did in the past but now it's like yeah Right, but but it's still the tension between wanting to be responsible and, right. and, and actually just being the kind of person mm. whose day is affected by the dough. Yeah, which it truly, in all honesty, it still is. I mean, I definitely, you know, I have my concerns, my worldly concerns that I have to deal with on a day-to-day basis and a family and all these things, but then I definitely will have the best night's sleep or a peaceful night's sleep or feel good if I leave there and feel like the pizza was amazing tonight. The dough was great. I was on it. You know, I felt like the place is what it should be. You fulfilled your purpose, like your I, yeah, inner yeah, purpose yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. Like who you are. Yeah. Like what you are, yeah. unfortunately yeah. for you, yeah. Is, yeah, is this person who needs to do this thing as well as it can be done. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of perfect to talk about Skillshare as I'm talking to Anthony Mangieri. I mean, you're talking about someone who spent a lifetime trying to learn a specific set of skills. And the, the great thing about Skillshare um, is this is an online learning community for creators. With more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more, you'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. You can take classes in creative writing, illustration, social media marketing, Whether you're looking to discover a new passion or start a side hustle or gain professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. Look, side hustle, when people say that, I mean, what what you're really talking about is, is there something that you want to pursue, not as your full-time gig right now, but something that you've wondered if you could get good at, maybe good enough for it to become your main thing, go to Skillshare and uh, find a class in that area and practice and Watch what it feels like when you start actually spending your time doing something that you dig. 
Join the millions of students already learning Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. Skillshare is offering our listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash moment. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash moment to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash moment. And the moment of Brian Koppelman listeners will get access to over 25,000 classes for free. Skillshare. Now back to Mr. Mangieri. I've been thinking about this anger thing a lot. So I, I, a lot. Dave and I talk about it all the time. You know, my partner in crime here talk about it all the time because like you, I was fueled by it for a long time, like proving them wrong, whoever they are, right? right? And it's almost yourself. Well, yeah, right? It's, it's <laughs> They is you. Yes, of course it is. Nobody like, cares. That, no, right. It's <laughs> all cares. your story. Nobody cares if you make it or not. Right. Nobody gives a damn. But it's all your story. But that anger, and then at a certain point, in my 40s, for me it started, I realized that the anger didn't burn as clean anymore. Like yeah. using the anger left a, too much of a residue mm. and didn't allow you to get to like an elevated place. Right. Even right. when you succeeded, it was like, well, now what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. And so I had to try to tap into other, other things to replace it, to still do the work as well, as intense as intensely, you know, so whether that means like look, finding a way to turn that into love for the right, thing. Right, right. And like it's a really important t- turn for your own salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an atheist, you're a believer, but we can both, we're, I'm talking about this kind of personal salvation, mm-hmm. um, can happen if instead, you know, I've heard a couple chef friends of mine talk about going to a place and they can feel the food doesn't have the love. Even when yours has anger in it, there is, you the, and even though you said you were only making them for yourself, it does feel like you were trying to put the best part of yourself in it. Leave oh, the yeah. anger out, yeah. like, like uh, in a way, by the best part of yourself kicking the anger out is what lets you right. do the thing, right? right? I wonder, and I don't know what you think, but I've often thought about this and wondered, I don't know if the word anger is really even what it was now that I'm older. I still say it because it's like a word to say. It's like saying, like, if you're going to say, like, spiritual stuff, like God. It could right. be like... You just say it. It doesn't necessarily mean a person. Like, it, it's like this, it this air. Feel, yes, it's sure. like energy, whatever. So, like, the same with anger. I think a lot of us use the word anger or did use it as like this thing of like, I'm angry and I'm like going to prove my point. I'm going to prove to the world. I'm going to prove to myself and prove to this and prove to that. I don't know if it was really anger because, you know, I, I don't know if I ever truly, and I don't know for you, what you would think, but I don't know if I ever, like, I never, I never really wanted to hurt anyone. I've never really, Oh, of course. like, you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm really But it's angry. not just determination either, right? It, there's some... It's something. It's like a fire, though. It's not an anger, maybe, as you get older and you reflect back to that. It's not like... Well, it's never about hurting someone, but it is about justifying, like the space I'm taking up on this fucking earth. Right, right. And like, I'm here. But that's like almost like, instead of anger, like a really fantastic friend of mine who's an insanely talented person in every facet, like art, everything. And him and I talk about this all the time. And like girlfriends have dated him and they're like, you're so angry. But it's like, 
these girls, a lot of times, I'm like, yeah, they say they're not angry, but, like, they treat them badly. They only care about, like, material stuff. They have a crap corporate job. They're, like, running around. Like, I don't know. Like, they're actually angry. But then they're saying people that are kind of, like, seeing things in a different way are the angry ones. I don't know if it's really anger. It's something else, I think. Even though it's I different than annoyance. Well, it's different than like um, annoyance or frustration, because you know why? I guess it's more primal than that. It's kind of like the anger that causes you to split rocks or something. Right. Like it's almost like not. Co- it's like I am not bending. Yes, will. You're talking yeah. about will. Yeah. It's not will, anger, but it's what will. fuels that will? It's will to not be swayed by like where people are just like, well, that's just the way it is. And then you'll be like, no, that's not the way it is. And then they're like, you're so angry. It's like, no, I'm not angry. I'm just saying, like, this is the way I'm doing it. Right. Like, I have this idea. It. It's not anger. But it is, there is something in it about proving to, yes, to yourself or to anybody, like, I have worth. And I'm going to yeah. show you the worth yeah. through this thing. I figured, listen. Now we use I'm Instagram gonna, for that. Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> But it is like I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make this fucking pizza. I'm gonna write this show. I'm gonna do this thing in a way that leaves no doubt that I was here and that I knew something and I was willing to go through fire, right, to get it to you, to give it. To, can right, you? And then, right, right. And then there's also a challenge. I mean, that's the other thing about what you did in the old days for sure. There was a kind of challenge to this, which was like, you weren't going to be glad-handing people. You weren't going to smile at them to make them like your pizza. You weren't going to fucking dance for them. Here's what you were going to do. You were going to make this thing to your own ideal, and you were going to put it out there, and then challenge them to recognize it, right? I mean, you were going to, I mean... We had some stress in that place. (laughs) Like, I had a guy once... His wife jumped on my back. The tables flipped over. Why? We had some crazy stuff. Because you wouldn't there. do something that he wanted. Yeah, I used to really like take it to the limits. Like, what would you do? Tell him what happened. I mean, that got physical. Because <laughs> what did he want to do? That particular guy wanted his pizza well done, and <laughs> I was in such a bad mood that night because of like whatever. I like cooked that thing as black as you. Could. Oh no! And I said instead it on of the saying plate. no, you mean you could have. Well, the server already told them no, and then they came back up, and they were like, look, like, this guy's, like, whatever. Like, he just won't bend on this thing. Like, it was like a four-top, I still remember. And and I was like, fine. And so I cooked it, and I made it, like, as black as your sweatshirt. Like, and I put it on the plate, and the server came to take it, and they looked at it, and they're like, I'm like, that's their pizza. He's like, you want me to serve this? I'm like, yeah. And they brought it over, and a couple minutes passed, and the guy came up to the counter in the New York's this old place and like said something and like it just went sideways from there. It resulted in the table being flipped over, his wife on my back, my friend putting his wife in a headlock, the whole restaurant running out into the street. And there were other situations. That this happened. might be my favorite story ever told oh, on the podcast. Oh, there's a lot of other ones you don't need to know about because I don't want to have like anybody looking for me. <laughs> we once did it. Um, Dave and I, early on in our career, we we wrote a movie that intentionally didn't have any murder or guns in it. This wasn't Rounders. It was a movie that didn't get made for a big studio. And we were really clear from the whole time about what we were doing. We were like, we want to tell this kind of story, but we don't want it to be bullshitty and whatever. And then the head of the studio said, I just really, you know, I want I, I don't want to accept the draft you guys did because I really want to feel the violence and tension. I mean, so much of it. 
so we were like, oh, you want to feel the violence and tension? And we just fucking wrote with the thing we turned into them every single page somebody was shooting somebody else and stabbing them and choking them and it was just like the like we did two days we didn't do drugs but it was as though we just did a mountain of coke and we're just like oh here's your violence like we ruined the thing just every single line in it was like somebody stabbing or shooting or strangling and um you know that guy wouldn't hire us for 10 years like for 10 <laughs> yeah, years yeah. that guy called our agents like that they'll never work at this studio again they tried to just insult me and and it, but we were just like well look you wanted violence yeah so how who's going to write it yeah. either we're going to write it yeah or you're going to write it now you don't have any talent so you can't yeah, write it right so but one of us yeah. someone has to do yeah. it but that's youth, man. That's I would take it. I wouldn't do it again. I was thirty-one. I wouldn't yeah. as a fifty-two-year-old. Oh, I don't have what it takes. As a fifty-two-year-old, yeah. I would just breathe it out yeah. and be like, "All right, what? How can I make it yeah. better in whatever way?" I yeah, it's funny. It really does happen. You know, when you get older, you really you can get where for a second where you're like, but then it's just like. Ah. But then you have to refine. Don't you have to then refine your own personal standard, right? Because you do still have to. This all plays into that. Yeah, back to what we were saying about like you know other obligations in life and everything. It's all like these things where you're like, okay, but like if I'm not going to be reactionary and I'm not going to fight for every little point, and like you know if somebody wants it this way, like do I need to go to have the server or me go to a table and have them get pissed off and leave, like? But the problem and the tricky thing in life that is that the more you keep bending on those things, the easier it is to bend. You know, the less you can just be like, no, that that's where I draw the line. It's like the line, the line keeps going further and further and further. And then you're not and yourself. No and then who are you? Well, then who are you? It's not going to do it anymore. And I'll just yeah, but then the problem whatever. But isn't the problem? Yeah, the problem then is like if you let it creep. Back and back and back. Because it's one thing to say, I want to be a better, I want to be more evolved. Right, right. But you want to be be a better husband. I I want to be be a better better father. So those those are are the places. Because it's hard to keep that craziness and those lines outside of your family. Because if your standard is your standard, your standard becomes like, well, this is the way we're doing this. And this is the way we're doing that. And And you just like, you know. It's very easy to live like that if it doesn't involve any other humans. Well, because their own standards. Wait, because what you have to do is actually care about their standards, right? Right, You have to want your daughter to live her life based on what's best for her. And you have to take her opinion. And your wife. You have to take their opinions heavily into account. Right. To a degree. You you have to like. Uh, On the other hand, why have a pizzeria if you can't make your pizza what you want it to be? And so to turn it off when you go home, you have to learn to turn it off, right? You have to learn to channel it differently. Mm But it's hard. I mean, look, you had the incident where uh, we don't have to say the name of the guy, but a critic came back to your restaurant. You you asked him to leave. Oh, oh, recently. That was in the yeah. past year, right? So even no, I mean, I almost did something crazy a couple months ago, and the manager locked me in and wouldn't let me outside. So whatever, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> really? Like they locked you in the back? They locked me. They I didn't have the key to get out. <laughs> And, and that was probably for the, that like, was probably like, for the best. Like, not, and I was like, "Give me the key. Let me outside." <laughs> right, because the stand. This is this is part of what I want to ask you, which is is how <laughs> do you avoid family. how oh. do you avoid being disappointed by people all the time? Um, like do you, that's also yeah. It's all connected to these things. It's like even noticing details. That then leads you to be disappointed with people. If you're someone who's like, 
you know, perfectionist or whatever word you want to throw at it where you're like, this is the way I like this. This is the way I like this. This is like how I like this to be like this. This is how this should be set up. And you create your little bubble that you live in. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't even watch TV, sorry, or read the newspaper or anything. So like you can create like your own little thing where you're like, you've created your little world that you live in and this is the way it is. And, you know, and it's good and you can function in it. You know, the more people that start to get in there in your little bubble, even if it's for an hour a day or for whatever it is, you know, you you start to realize, like, you know, again, like, it's back to, like, not wanting to hurt people and not wanting to, I don't know, like, you know, there's there's a humanness to things where you're, like, you know, a balance of, like, trying to, so then you don't get disappointed if you can start to not see or or i guess you forgive more easily right if you're just yeah, you just let them slide you pick and choose you know the old thing you just pick and choose your battles you pick and choose like this thing doesn't need to be like that this person does it this way and that's cool too because that's their way yeah and you start to just understand settle a little bit and like you know and maybe find another avenue to put things in like maybe an activity or a sport or Right, drinking and drugs, whatever, <laughs> whatever you got to do. No, so, but whatever it is, you know, or listening to music, or going to see movies, or whatever, right. like whatever it is that allows you, you to, to sort of yeah. Elevate don't a don't you bit. see in your life like people that you know that are like around our age that maybe were like fanatical in what they did. As they get older, they become like you know obsessed with something else. Like maybe they be, all of a sudden it's like someone you know now is like taking guitar lessons like sure. seven days a week, and they're like, "I'm gonna learn how to play the guitar like Jimi Hendrix," and they're like sixty years old and obsessed with it now. Yes, yes, uh, it's common. And then I the think. other choice, I think the other way is what I did, what I do, because I'm still as obsessed about making what I make. I still put all the insanity into making the show as great as I can possibly make it. But about seven, eight years ago, I started meditating every day, twice a day. And I started making sure I took long walks and I started journaling every day. And like, so that, so that I, I have ways to offload Mm -mm -mm. the emotions that are required to do the work. Right. I have, I have ways to break the cycle and the meditation twice a day resets in a way so that, you get super intense. You're in it. You're unforgiving of yourself. Because as you said, the unforgiving of anyone else is really just being unforgiving of yourself that you can't fix it all yourself. But then through through those things, through meditation, car, I do I do five days a week of like hard cardio. Could imagine how fat I'd be if I didn't do that. But I do all this cardio and all that stuff helps. Yeah. So that – because those are the choices. Either be – it, it, basically, when I do what I do, I have to have my foot on the gas. I can't right. do it another way. Right. I've seen you with the oven very recently. Like, you can't either, right? When you're doing your work, like, because part of it might be you let someone else cook or whatever, but you, when you're actually back there making the pizza, you're Anthony who's been making the pizza the same way since you're 25 years old yeah. or whatever. But it's what do you, for me anyway, it's what do I do in the times when I step away so that if you're dealing with me in another way, I'm pleasant to right. be around and I'm engaged right. and I'm not just in my, cause that's the other part of it. Right. With your family is if even when you're home, all you're thinking about is the dough. It you're not a great dad. No, it's and true. So if I'm home and all I'm thinking about is billions, the show, I'm not going to be the right father. So right. how do you, 
Right. So I'm sure you're thinking about how to manage that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I have found a way to do that also, um, many years ago with, uh, cycling Great. and that became my thing. And that, that's even why I moved to California. Um, when I closed the place in New York was basically just so that I could cycle the greatest trails around and still have a business. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do yoga and like, you know, and so that helps. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely need to like have that. I got to talk about why you left New York though, because it's not as simple as to bike. I, I like my perception of it from the outside, cause I didn't know you then, but I knew a lot of people who knew you, but my perception of the outside was, it wasn't just that you were like, your place was in demand. You had become this cultural figure in the food scene in the city in a big way. And there were these big articles written about you, like in New York Magazine and New York Times, and you were just incredibly celebrated, and they would write about you like a monk. Like I found that word in a lot of articles about you. They would say this guy has a monk-like devotion. But, and you know, Salinger used to write about people like that, and they would, and, and, and the way that you disappeared it wasn't like you told everybody in six months I'm closing. It wasn't like there was a time for everyone to say goodbye to you. It was like, holy shit, Anthony closed his restaurant. It's like, what? What do you mean? No, he's gone. What's he going to do? Nobody knows. They said, and then there was some article. Someone said, oh, he's just driving across the country. He's going to figure it out. I mean, talk a little bit about what, what was going on inside you that you had to do it. How, and, 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 and that you had to, that you thought the only answer was escape in a way. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know. You I st- don't know. You still don't have a sense? Well, you know, I mean, I never did it to like really achieve anything when I opened that place. I did it to... I don't know, like, again, like, I don't want to say anger, but whatever. I did it almost like I'm going to open up and I'm going to show the world what the best pizza is. Yes. And screw everybody. And that was pretty much it. And you did it. And I did it. And then I was like, all right. (laughs) There's no reason. I I used to be like, what am I going to do now? I'm just going to keep coming in here and proving it every day. I'm like, screw it. I'm done. And it was pulling me in a lot of directions. I wasn't able to be the person that I wanted to be. I wasn't behaving the way I should sometimes, you know, um, on personal levels. And I felt like I needed to get a grip. I mean, New York city is a tricky place, man. You know, like if you could, I mean, people come to New York city and they want to take on the world and they end up becoming like, uh, you know, nothing. It's an easy place to lose yourself and go sideways. And you felt that happening. And I felt I was on the verge of doing that in some ways with, my some of my personal decision making and stuff and at the same time I felt like the pizza when I closed was at its height that it, it that was it insane. was because I I also mentally decided that I was not going to complain to myself or be angry about things so I was going to go in there and just totally be like at peace with this thing when I'm in there and that is very hard to maintain on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Like that requires some serious. So like I would go in there and when I was in there and it started, I would be like, this is all I care about. I don't care if the world's burning down around me in here. This is it. 
And then as soon as I got out of there, I would just not be the same that I should be. And yeah, and I just felt like, you know what, I, I, I got to get out of this. And it was too tiring. I was consumed. Yeah, it just felt like, you know, and I honestly, like, I always remember, like, you know, a guy, a husband of a woman that I knew in New Jersey um, that had, like, a little place. I remember after I sold the place, I was sitting there one day, and he, like, came in. I was sitting at, like, this counter having a coffee, and, like, I was trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with myself, and... I was going to drive cross country in like a couple of days. I was going to leave and meet a buddy at one point. I was just going to like live in my truck and mountain bike for like two months and camp and whatever. And he like sat down next to me. He's like, what are you going to do this and that? And I started talking to him. He's like, man, he's like, you need a big break. And I'm like, no, I know. Like I really, I needed to just clear it, like kind of clear it out. It, it became, you know, more than what I wanted, which is silly you know, but, but no, that's what you felt. Yeah. You got to be true. I mean, again, like you have to be true to yourself. I think that's really the key to everything is just like, you know, if you're a scumbag and want to crush it and step on people and that's truly who you are, then you're going to do that and you're going to be great at it. And so when president are, of the United States, <laughs> well, and maybe, you're yes, exactly. United States. you know, I mean, truly like, yeah. you know, it's like, if you're, if you're true to yourself, you can do great things for good and for bad. And if you're somebody who's aware of what that means to yourself, then just keep that as your pathway more than anything. And I'm not saying like, go for it. You're a terrible person. Go out and become a killer. No. But like, if that's really what you are and that's how you feel at your best, that's what you're going to But you're really saying it. the other thing, which is be aware of who you are and exactly. what you're doing. Exactly. Like if Own you really it. just keep coming back to like this is this is what really is my core. This is what matters. This is what makes me be my best. If you can stay on that path, I think you can again get through many things. You can get over a lot of humps. You can get through tough times. You can always find a way. And then other people around you might even be like, oh, you're so lucky. Like, you always somehow come out of things. You always find a way out of it. Or you always get through this thing. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, it's not so easy. Like, don't don't judge and think that, like, it's so easy being over here. It might look like it from your side. But, like, you know what? Just be true to yourself. And then you're going to find that, you know? And and I think that's where people get lost. Where people don't find their their success, whatever that might be. It could be like working at Target sure. as a manager, which is great if that's what you want. Like, just be true. Be true to the inside. Like, honestly, shut everything else out. Calm down. Like, stop with the social media. Stop with, like, what you think you're supposed to be. It's a very hard age right now, I think, to, like, find who you're supposed to be because the world is telling you who you're supposed to be if you let it in a second. And when we were younger, that... That wasn't the case. I mean, nobody was telling you what you should be, really. I mean, unless your parents. Or no, that's the or thing. Whatever. When like, I remember you, Three's Company, the sitcom, you're like, I want to live with two girls. That's funny. In San Diego. <laughs> well, you didn't end up doing that. Uh, uh, yeah, I was thinking about when you would go to a metal show when you were a kid. What you had to do in order to find those records, and then to find the show, and then to go to the show. And that was it, though. That's everybody you got in it. there was. More. Well, what you also got was you would look around, right? I remember seeing Iron Maiden at a small club in on Long Island, and called like the North Stage Theater. 
on the num right when Number of the Bees came out. And, you know, you looked around that room and, and you felt then this community of people who were all um, were all told that whatever their dreams were, their ideas were, were kind of valueless by yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. And they were banded together to s- scream run to the hills at the top of their <laughs> lungs, you know, or murder in the room org or with killers. But there was something about it where your identity for that night was like fused with this group of people. And, and like you, like I love the band The Hold Steady and because their shows are still like that. They come from a straight edge, that original tradition that Craig Finn was interested in was that stuff. And so uh, the, the punk straight edge sort of movement and the scene in the community. And I would say, Anthony, that around you, the same thing has always existed, which is you are like, you know, you're like my favorite rock band. And so coming to see you do your thing and getting to eat that pizza feels like we're in this communal experience because you're trying so hard. And so if I show up open, as you said, like it might sound funny for someone to say, well, if you show up open to the pizza right. or the dough. But I do feel like if someone walks into Una Pizza Napolitana and you're behind the oven, which you still are a bunch of the days of the week, right? Yeah, no, and I make the dough every You make the dough day. every day every and you're actually day. making I'm the pies. I'm in there seven days a week. And you're yeah. making the pies a lot of days. Yeah, yeah. Not every day, I, I, but a lot I, of days. I try to take off one night a week. Yeah, yeah. so you're in there all the time. And I'll say if someone's open to it, and again, this might sound like some spiritual mumbo jumbo, but I didn't know, I will just say, I didn't know you, right? All I did was walk into your pizza place and eat the pizza and know that as different as that guy's life experience is from mine, in some weird way, we're brothers. And that experience is open to people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, again, I know it might sound odd. I'm just talking about cheese sauce and dough. <laughs> but... You got to go to one of Ant- to Anthony's restaurant, Una Pizza Napolitana, in the East Village. And uh, is that area called the East Village, actually? What's it called? It's on uh, Orchard no, and Stanton. Now it's Stan- the Lower East Side. They Stanton changed and- that. They ch- when did yeah, they change that? Like, like, yeah, my son was What is it? Uh, we're on Orchard. Orchard between, between Houston and Stanton. Yeah. And, uh, and go there. And don't bother Anthony when he's making the pizza, but go eat it. And... Um, Shit, man, I really wanted to talk about salt with you for a long time, but we didn't, and now we got to end this thing because I would say the white pizza is when Anthony is salting that pizza, something happens, and it, and it is an elevating experience. The only white pizza in the world I eat, but I have to have the white pizza when I come down there. Anthony Mangieri, people can find you on Instagram even though you don't like Instagram. You're on there. You're posting <laughs> yes. pizza pictures. Yes. Uh, you can see him and his pizza in its glory um, on episode five of season four of Billions. I was so excited to be able to put you in the show, and you did great. And uh, everybody, thank you for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Brian Koppelman. You can email me at the moment, bk at gmail.com. And uh, tell, email me after you go to Una Pizza Napolitana. Hit me up on social media. I want to hear your thoughts about the pizza. Anthony, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you.